we taking a shot up in the tailgate yep. lot yep. with a stadium view. Woo! What a great spot. Damn it, I've been waiting all week. Counting down the days till I'm back in my seat. Till I'm back in my seat. Back on the boulevard, Monday, April 10th. As always, here to prove to you, there is no such thing as football season. What a weekend it was for the XFL. Games coming right down to the wire. Really exciting finishes. Really swept us off our feet. As this sunny spring weather has been sweeping the entire nation. I know a lot of you were probably running your sweeper today trying to clean up all that uh, mess that your Easter company left. I can only hope that you got more sweet, I mean, sleep than I did in St. Louis traveling this weekend. I know someone on our cast today lost a little bit of sleep with his team who lost by just one point to my DC defenders. The producer, owner of the humble abode, <laughs> we call Studio Z. Oh, Zook, are you cheating your punishment today? You're missing your nose. Oh, geez. Here, here it is. Is that good? Is that better? <laughs> Forgot all about the nose, unfortunately. Thoughts on last night's game before we get rid of you? They're a bunch of clowns. They gave it away. Got to have one more. That is Chris Zook. On tonight's show, we get to give away another entry in our PS5 sweepstakes. I promise, Zook, that's it. I had to get that in my system. Come on. Victory Monday. The 7-1 DC defenders. 6-0 against divisional opponents. But that seventh win against divisional opponents coming up here in a couple weeks in the playoffs is the one that's going to count the most. Beating St. Louis twice and beating Seattle twice will not matter if you cannot beat one of them three times. We're going to break down all the tiebreakers for you to tell you who is it that's going to get that second seed in the North. What a weekend. Like I said, we're going to unpack everything from DC's win out at Lemon Field. We had the Boulevard Bowl Tour in St. Louis. The roof blew off the dome. And that final conversion by Brian Hill. What a fourth quarter comeback it was yet again for Anthony Beck's squad. Houston Roughnecks have snapped their losing streak although they really had no business letting the Brahmas cover. And I have a few gripes with Wade Phillips and co for how they handled the end of that game. We'll get into that. Another power poll. This one a little easier than most weeks to put together. Things kind of cleared themselves up and we have a solid one through eight ranking with not much debate. And as always, we'll take you through some early lines that we found today on the openers. Well, make sure you drop us a like on the video if you're watching live here Monday night. If you're watching back, subscribe to the channel. Have some interesting stuff coming up for you here in the show. As always, we're going to break down all your games. We're going to get to some Twitter questions later. We have our power poll and we have tiebreaker scenarios and all that. So make sure you drop us a like and we'll take you through our XFL standings, which shook up just a little bit this week. DC now Kings of the North, 7-1. and one. They have clinched a playoff spot. Uh, we'll get into how they can clinch a home field advantage at Audi. Getting in here later in the show. St. Louis now second in the North at 6-2. and two. Seattle drops to 5-3. and three. Vegas is 2-6. and six. Over in the South, Houston also clinching a playoff spot. They can clinch a, a home game, although it's kind of interesting because if they end up playing Arlington, it's kind of a home game anyway. <laughs> So not much to play for there in the South, but 
Arlington, they beat Orlando to even out at four and four. San Antonio is two and six. And the Guardians not able to put together those back to back wins. They fall to the basement of the XFL at one and seven. So let's show you how the standings got to where they are. The St. Louis Battlehawks. What a Boulevard Bowl tour spot it was. The leg of Donnie Hagman sending us to our first ever XFL overtime. It's kind of destiny that we went there this week. I always wanted to see these overtime rules shake out. Shout out Sam Schwartzstein. This is the guy who developed these rules. And remember, even before college football implemented them, Sam was on top of this, this kind of shootout style overtime. And, and it delivered. The only people who didn't enjoy this were those of you who had the St. Louis Battlehawks on the spread. And you realized, oh, I can't score six in overtime. <laughs> this isn't traditional OT. Can only get two-point conversions out of it. So the most you could win by was four, and St. Louis ended up doing just that. When I tell you guys the roof blew off the place, it was so loud. And you need to be following along at Matty Fresh TV on Twitter. I post as much content as I can. This was so much fun to be on the field level and see this place just completely erupt and the passion from the fans and the players and the coaches. What a scene it was at the Battle Dome. That place gets cranked up on third downs. And, and although Vegas did their best at times to silence the crowd, it, those fans stayed invested. Even when they were down nine in the fourth quarter and it seemed like there was no hope, nobody was leaving. It was still very loud in there. Um, you can never really count out these St. Louis Battlehawks. Uh, they make your heart race. They get to a different gear. Later in games, it seems they start off a little slow. We saw them do it against San Antonio. They had it against Seattle. Remember, D.C. was a, a two-possession game in Audi Field back in week three. All of a sudden, D.C. fumbles on the one-yard line. St. Louis gets a back, scores a touchdown, and they made that a game late. So they have a knack for this. Um, credit if you were getting points with Vegas. I did want to touch on that for a minute. You had the right side. And this spread was up and down like Nick Tiano helicoptering into the end zone there on one of the two-point conversions that we showed you. Uh, <laughs> it opened up six and a half on Monday, made its way to seven and a half Saturday morning. And as soon as I got to the Dome, we got a warm welcome from the all-XFL St. Louis Battlehawks PR staff. Great people out there. Uh, it was about an hour and 15 minutes before kickoff. We were able to get the news from them and break it that A.J. McCarron was not going to play. Anthony Beck making that decision to hold AJ out and rest the sore shoulder. Um, not good news for Battlehawks fans. A lot of you also that were betting on them were in my mentions saying DraftKings should refund your bet. <laughs> Got to have this inside info. I said he was questionable. I told you guys, and, and I know we didn't know right until just about kickoff, but he, he was not playing, and that means Nick Tiano of Choo Choo Chattanooga, the mocks getting in there as QB1. And in the blink of an eye, in that hour between us finding that out and kickoff, the line goes from seven and a half to five. So Vegas telling you, and when I say Vegas, I don't mean the Vipers, I mean the odds makers, telling you A.J. McCarron is worth two and a half points. That's huge. So the field goal that Rod Woodson decided to fake was worth three points. They could have had that on the board. And, and he told us in the press conference after the game that he regretted calling that fake. Uh, he says when he saw how St. Louis lined up and they were rushing from that side, that he should have called the timeout and canceled it. So he took responsibility for the loss. Um, 
In his defense, I will say, the Vegas kickers have been the worst in the league all season. Bailey Giffen missed over half of his kicks. They cut him loose. They bring in Sam Sloman as a new signing. He missed from 43 earlier in the second quarter. So I think if you're going to blow it dead there, if you're Rod Woodson and cancel the play, I'm going to run a play from scrimmage. Um, You had 11 seconds left in the game. It was fourth and two. You had two timeouts in your pocket. To me, that's prime Jalen McClendon using the wheels territory. They also had 208 yards rushing. So if you want to run the ball there, you have two timeouts. Either get your kicker closer or you have time to take a shot to the end zone. So I don't agree with the field goal or the fake. I would have actually went for it. Um, The execution of that play was way off. St. Louis rubbed it in because they went and converted their own fake special teams play. Punter Sterling Hoffrichter, now number one all-time in XFL passer rating. He passes out John Trey Kirkland by going one for one, 64 yards and a touchdown. But let's be honest, that was all Gary Jennings. He deserves a helmet sticker. He was really turning on the Jets. He, he ran right past Matthew Sexton, got a great block there on that run from Stephen Mitchell right at the end. But Gary Jennings could fly, one of the fastest players in the league. That was an impressive display of speed. And I usually head down from the press box to the field with about five minutes left in these games to catch the end. You can guess where I was during the 64-yard fake punt touchdown. In the elevator. It happened to me in D.C. too. I missed the pick six. So maybe it's me. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I was the bad luck that kind of didn't get St. Louis going in the first half. But what a play that was. The, The dome. Just probably as loud as it ever was. That was incredible. 35,167 in attendance. They now have three games where they got over 35,000 and a huge one with Seattle coming up where they're going to need about 45,000 because it's that big of a game. Win's a win here. Um, I know Nick Tiano threw two picks, which in the last four games combined, that's as many as AJ threw. He had 194 pass yards, 51 on the ground was pretty impressive. And he led his team to a victory. It wasn't pretty, but he, he managed the game well. Shout out our guy, uh, Steven Gonzalez, there <laughs> at the end of the game on that last play where Brian Hill takes it up the middle. They had him pull as a guard, and he threw the, the lead block for Brian Hill to plunge in there from two yards out. Um, Anthony Beck saying after the game, AJ should be ready to roll in week nine. So <sighs> that decision could have backfired easily. AJ wanted to play, but. They get a win, and it might end up paying off here, the gamble that Anthony Beck takes. The Vipers outgained the Battlehawks. They also won the turnover battle. Just didn't make enough plays. And that's what it comes down to. And I know there was a couple of questionable calls right down there at the end in overtime. First, Blandino reverses the the two-point try, saying the, the ball carrier wasn't in. I'm sure Vegas fans had shades of Luis Perez on the goal line in D.C., where the Blandino reversed that call as well. And then Martavis Bryant pushing off on the OPI really sealed the deal for Vegas. And, and, and Rod Woodson not happy after the game. I've said many times the most heated rivalry in the XFL is not between two teams. It's between Rod Woodson and Dean Blandino. And that rivalry intensified on Saturday afternoon in St. Louis. What a game it was. Our first ever XFL overtime. And we got to witness it. Thank you, Brian Stoll and the rest of the wonderful staff there in St. Louis for the warm welcome. Really get to check that off my bucket list now to cover a game at the Dome and hopefully get to go back next year. 
continuing on for Saturday, that one was a uh, hard act to follow. Um, this one kind of went how we expected, low scoring, right? Uh, if you ask me, though, I would have went Orlando 18-16. to 16. Zook and I were in unison. We believed the Orlando Guardians would do just enough to get back-to-back wins. Um, but just like they did in game one of that series against San Antonio, Arlington just squeaks by. Uh, they went outright as a road underdog. The debut of Luis Perez in the baby blue was not perfect, but he did, I think, play better in a Vipers uniform against Orlando. Uh, but he did enough to win this one and, and 16 to 25 for 190 yards. And he didn't turn the ball over. Most important part there. Um, the quarterback on the other sideline, Quentin Dormady, did so five times. See the fumble here that went for a Devontae Bosby touchdown. And that was the difference. 1.6 yards per carry for Orlando as well. That Jay Hayes, Tim Lewis unit is just legit. They're literally winning Arlington games at this point in the season. That O-line for Orlando just overwhelmed. Um, nine fumbles forced on the season for the Arlington Renegades defense, and they have a 100% recovery rate. They forced nine, and they've recovered nine. That's phenomenal. And a lot of those have been setting their offense up right on the short porch or going for touchdowns altogether. So kind of the flow of this game. Um, we had T-Buck in the final moments going for a one-point conversion. I know that outraged a lot of you, especially if you were betting on this game. There was about four minutes left. I guess he thought his, his defense was holding Arlington enough to where they could get the ball back, and they did. They just didn't have the offensive line to protect Dormady. Too many coverage sacks that were being taken as well. Um, that that three-pointer, I think, was far from a guarantee anyway. So, again, another situation where I'll come to T-Buck's defense a little bit. Um, to me, that's not where Orlando lost the game. I point to the first quarter. This was a crucial moment. We just showed it to you, actually, on the, the highlight there. Joe Powell kind of short-circuited and forgot how to do his job as a punt returner for Arlington. He bobbled the ball, was unable to fall on it, and Dedrick Thomas made a great play in punt coverage, recovered it right on the goal line there. They look at it, they spot the ball at the eight, which I thought was a little farther back than where he actually recovered it. But for whatever reason, T-Buck's on the sideline after that, yelling for DeAndre Francois. And it seemed like Francois wasn't even ready. Buckley was yelling at him saying, get your flap on. Like, what was going on? Why? Why put Francois in there? And then the play calling was terrible. They had um, a little reverse that they try to do. It was like a wide receiver reverse. It didn't, Eli Rogers, not a quarterback. Floated it high for Dan Williams. Um, they ran it up the middle on second down, which they just haven't been running effectively this entire season. So that wasn't a great call. And then they have another incompletion on third down. And then fourth down, they, they jog out Borgales to kick a 24-yard chip shot. Why are you not going for it here? You're one and six. You're, you, you don't have anything to lose at this point. I know it's the first quarter, but take your chances here with Quentin Dormady and I don't know. I would have went for it there. What's the worst case scenario? You pin Arlington's offense uh, on their own five yard line. We know Arlington's offense hasn't been great this year. So to me, I, I go for it, but they settled for three. Um, and against a defense that was as good as Arlington, it was one of their few red zone opportunities. They ended up with all afternoon. So that, that really comes back to bite them. That decision, um, that, uh, interception return 
that we had another huge play from Dedrick Thomas where Dormady was picked off by Arlington. And as they're running it back to try to ice the game, Thomas just steals it away. That was another great play you saw there on the highlight. So shout out Thomas, a couple big plays there. Um, let's flip things over to the Arlington offense. What did we think of, of Luis Perez and his debut with the Renegades? Well, they only had three red zone visits. Two of those, they settled for field goals. Um, the defense obviously carried here yet again. They only allowed 25 rush yards. They had five takeaways. They got four sacks. Have to give credit to the front seven there. Will Clark, former NFL third-round draft pick, nine-year pro, two sacks, big force fumble, recovered it. Willie Taylor, another stud in that linebacking core. He gets a sack, a pick, and a force fumble. These guys just filled the stat box, and they were without their um, – leader of the secondary and Will Hill for the entire second half after he got tossed for two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. But that Guardians wide receiver core really didn't take advantage of that. Honestly, I thought Will Hill being out would take a hit to the depth. Remember, this is a team that also lost Josh Hawkins a couple of weeks ago to an injury. So they couldn't afford to lose Will Hill, and they did. And Eli Rogers seemed like the only one who did much. I mean, Cody Latimer is always going to get his, but Rogers had like 10 catches for... 140 yards and, and a score. Charles and Rambo was non-existent in this game. Um, Orlando kind of made some big plays in the secondary themselves. I thought the hit from Marcus Murphy on Becker was one of the hits of the year. Forced the fumble. Great play by Murphy. I gave Orlando the ball back, but like I said, all day, they just couldn't protect Dormady. They had the most sacks given up since the Houston game, <clears throat> which they gave up seven in that one. Um, just getting too cute on offense for Orlando, really what it comes down to. They tried two reverses, both of them. One of them was an incomplete pass. One got stuffed for like 15 yards by Ryan Mueller. Uh, Sal Canella was held catchless for Arlington. Is that an issue? Kyle Sloter, Luis Perez, we always talk about who are these quarterbacks' favorite receivers. Every time you go through a quarterback change in this league, a different receiver emerges. Is that an issue? Does Luis Perez not favor Sal Canella the way Sloter and Drew Plitt do? He was the top target all year, and he was held catchless. That shocked me. But it didn't matter because Arlington won the game. They get the four wins, even though in three of them they were outgained. Just win, baby. Bob Stoops finding ways to grit it out. This is the second time Orlando outgained them and still managed to lose. Arlington, one of the best defenses in the league. And things are going to get interesting here. Remember, they'll have a rematch with Houston in Week 10. They go to D.C. this week. We're going to preview that on Thursday. But what's Arlington going to do? Are they going to finish 4-6 and six and, and limp into the playoffs and back in? Or do they get two massive wins here as Luis Perez continues to progress and that defense just seems to hold every single week? We'll see. We'll get into that preview of Arlington, D.C. on Thursday. Make sure you drop us a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel. As always, our PS5 Pick'em. We want to push that. Two more weeks. If you go four for four in any week, you will be granted an entry. Two more chances to do it. So get your entries in on Thursday. Uh, Studio Z has become home of Mikey Manziel now. The past couple of weeks. And it wasn't his best bet. But Mike did add Viper's money line pretty late on. When I told him A.J. McCarron was out, he ran to the books, ran to the window, and placed a sizable wager on Vegas Moneyline. 
to his chagrin, another loss for the Vipers. We have Man to Man with Mikey Manziel. We'll be back to break down the Sunday action after that. Don't go anywhere. This is Spring Ball Boulevard. Week 8, XFL football. This is Mikey Manziel, and this is Man to Man. I have a spotted tie on. You may be asking why. Thanks to Dan Blandino and all of his goofy clown calls costing me another freaking money line bet on Vegas, and there was outrage. I, I, I mean, Zook, you got anything to bring into that? It, it may have hurt you too. Yeah, <laughs> I love you. Yeah, I got, I got some stuff to say. Um, don't overturn a call, Blandino. His actual name is uh, Dean, not Dan, but whatever. It's nobody, well, nobody cares what his first name. The, is well, we're just cosplaying as Dan Blandino. We're gonna go with that. Let's roll into that first game, though, Zook. And did we have a set of games this week? Let, let's let's get into here. We got my Vegas Vipers against St. Louis at the Battle Dome. And my man is truck sticking three defenders. He's hype. I mean, just look at this. Let's let's get down to the nitty-gritty. He lowers his shoulder like he is a 260-pound running back. He gets up flexes. Now, running backs in this game, they got hurt left and right. John Lovett here goes for about 20, gets tackled. Next play, they give it right back to him. So did you know he broke his arm and he came back into play because they were running out of running backs. Broke his arm. John Lovett, Penn Stater, tough as nails, broke his arm earlier in this game. And he came back in and played. Here we go. We got a little screen out to the running back. We thought we were going to see another leap of faith. He didn't get there. And, man, I wish he did because what happened after this play really threw me for a curveball, it, it, it had me just confused um, till no end. We had all the momentum. He just needed to make the leap of faith and get in there. I mean, gee, it's Easter weekend, but here we go. Nope, Vegas luck, snap over his head. <sighs> what, what what else can you do? He's mad. He's like, hey, I, hey, I know we're excited. We're about to go up. You can't snap it over my head. We settled for a field goal, and this was just the demise of it all. I kind of knew right here. Um, the Battle Hawks were going to come back. I mean, especially when you leave a, a safety on one-on-one -on -one in the slot with with Mr. Butler himself. Um, right, right away, I, I was literally sitting here while Matt was at the game, and I texted him. I said, "Why are you playing one-on-one -on -one coverage?" I knew this was going to him. Uh, they saw it, and then this was the heartbreaker. I mean, Vegas tried to run a fake. The Battle Hawks said, "Hold my beer. Let me show you how to do this." Not only that, this guy flew. He wasn't on Spirit, he wasn't on Allegiant, and he slammed his helmet. And I'm pretty sure in the XFL, they've been letting them get away with this. He spiked his helmet like with authority. Let, let's just look at this again. That was the best pass of the ball game, to be honest with you. But look at this, he is flying. The guy had an angle. The, the returner had an angle on him and he outran it. And then he slammed this helmet down like it was his job. He got paid to do it. No 15 yard penalty, nothing. 
Battle Hawks won. Um, what else can I ask for? Vegas has has just given away two games. Let's just, please get on to the next one, Zuck. I can't even talk about this. We're gonna go to another special teams gaffy. I mean, look at this. He did his best to impression. He had the buttered popcorn before this punt. I mean, what are you doing? I, you just think about it. Just cover it. You dropped it the first time. Don't try to pick it up and run. They're running down there to kill you anyway. These guys are hyping Orlando. I, I'm I'm actually excited just because Orlando might score some points. I know some people took the over in this game, but look at this. He drops it once, says, oh boy, gets it twice, and then slips and falls and says, oh my God. Like, and, and he, it shows no emotion. But like Orlando does, they got the ball in the three and they kicked the field goal from the five. So they got negative two yards that time. Um, the regular Orlando Guardians. Uh, <laughs> and we thought Dormandy Normandy was gonna go crazy here. And I thought, boom. He forgot one thing, the ball. And Arlington takes this to the house. And wait till you see this slow-mode replay that they give us the pleasure to watch. He forgets to go down with the ball. And there's Dan Blandino trying to make a freaking another call here. I, I mean, here's the tie. You know what's going on. He literally just dropped the ball like he was in basketball. No, you're not going to walk. But whatever. And just another one. I mean, he got destroyed through a pick. It was just turnover city in this game, really, um, you know, on both sides of the team. But what an effort play by this guardian here. Look at pick. He could have gave up on the play, gave up on the season. He doesn't. He brings the ball back after the pick, but they don't do anything with it. And then my man, Lewis Perez, throws a dot. A dot. This They just, they just could not seal the game. It, it just a dot. Wide receiver dropped two in a row. And, and I, you just feel for them. I mean, they just could not just close the game. They just couldn't finish it. They let Orlando, and usually when you let bad teams stay, they, they come back and bite you. Orlando didn't. Um, I bet on Arlington Moneyline, though. I'll tell you what. I don't like those minus signs. Matty Fresh says it all the time. That's another plus that Mikey Manziel hit. Let's go on to that next game, Zook. Now we got Houston and San Antonio. And... This throw here, um, with a lot of throws in this game, Brandon Silvers looks like he's throwing off his back foot a lot. He does have a strong arm, but he gets this just a little bit out into the back pylon instead of the front pylon. Beautiful stalk route by the wide receiver. Um, he gets this to the back pylon. That's a touchdown. It would have been a beautiful throw. He knew it. He just threw off of his back foot. Um, he just needs just a little bit more to the corner, and that's where that route's supposed to go. Wade Phillips is pissed, but what are you going to do? But when you got San Antonio's quarterback, Carousel, this is what happens. Notre Dame and Wisconsin saw a ton of this. Um, Cone, I mean, he's playing on a bum foot. But, man, oh, man, is this brutal. I mean, he, he didn't even – it just went right to the guy. I, I, I mean, I, I, there's nothing no, nothing I could break down here. And then Silvers, a third and ten with the in the fourth quarter, up, up nine. I, I don't know what he's trying to do, throw it across the field throws his hands in the air. I'm not too sure why he's upset about that. You throw it into tight coverage on the outside across the field. Um, it'll show again here. I just, I don't like this decision. Um, he could have just threw it away or took a sack. Play clock would have ran. Um, but how big this was, if any better had minus four, you're sitting here screaming at your TV, screaming. This went to minus five and a half by the end. By the, before the game starts, 
And this was the dagger in that minus four, a pass interference in the end zone. You know what that means. They get it on pretty much the inch line. Um, they can't believe it. Houston, they defensively just played strong all game. San Antonio had no idea what to do. I mean, Brandon Silvers was pretty much throwing the game away. Uh, and I just don't know what else to say. I mean, you, you get here, goal line, boom, you score a touchdown, minus four doesn't cover, minus five and a half doesn't cover, and you let another bad team stay around, they're going to try to hit you. They don't get this three-point conversion. Um, they go into OT, which was, was awesome to see some OT games, you know, this week. Um, the, the way it goes, it's kind of like the penalty kill in hockey or the penalty – in hockey, I mean, I wish there was fights like there was in hockey because um, I'd definitely be fighting some players on the field, but that's just Mikey Manziel. Um, Zook, let's go into this last game, and I know this one hurts you a lot. Um, do do we have to? Matt made me. Yeah, we're going to have to do it. I don't, I don't want to. I, I know why you don't. I think I'm just going to cut the show here. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know... I did pay for this segment, so I don't know if we could do that. Fine. Thanks, Sook. I appreciate that. I will show, which is awesome to see, my man Philip Lindsay getting in the end zone in his first game in the XFL, giving it to the absolute dogs up front touchdown. And Ben DiNucci, this is a this is a great, like great show of why Josh Gordon is such a lethal weapon in this league. You watch this, the, the, the safeties just bail out. They got four verts. The safety says, I don't care about that slot. My guy's got him. He runs across the field and leaves the middle wide open. I mean, you, you can't draw that up anymore. Perfect. I mean, Josh Gordon then comes skipping, hopping over here saying, y'all can't catch me, baby. Look at this. He has his hand up in the air before it's even thrown. He knows it's a touchdown. Oh, man. And number four for Seattle had a dog of a game. But I'll tell you the bigger dog in this game, Jordan freaking Tamu. Bum shoulder and all. He carried DC today. He was hurting. He was getting rocked. And let me tell you, he really put on a clinic. I hope he's okay. Again, I just think DC looks like the best team. And here's Danucci. They're, they're taking what they give him here at the end of the game. And Josh Gordon may have just laid the biggest hit of the year on one of Matt's favorite players, and I couldn't have been more excited to watch it with Matt because I laid into him. Um, here we got to play. Defender falls down. It, it's just a quick uh, out and in route. Uh, defender fell down, and again, they go right back to the same play here to their stud, Jacor Pearson, who was really quiet today, but same thing. Just fake out, go in, man-on-man -man coverage. Guy doesn't baseball turn. It's just a touchdown. Um, that was easy pickings. And then you got the three-point play. You're sitting here thinking... There is no shot Seattle doesn't get this. They're only down one. Their coach, Danucci, didn't want to go for one. They wanted to go for two in the win. And he tries to make something happen. Don't know why they ran play action. They No one no one decided they were going to run. And he got folded like the red light district in Amsterdam. Crazy. It was great. And I bet money line. My parlay hit. It was a great weekend for me. But Vegas lost. And again, that's kind of been the story of how my segment has gone. Is Vegas loses, and when they win, they don't let me back on. But again, that concludes week eight for Mikey Manziel. This is Man to Man, and I hope you have a great night.
I don't understand these false accusations week after week. Vegas has only won two games this entire season. He says every time Vegas wins, they don't let me back on the show. One of them, he was in transit from Vegas back here to Studio Z because he lost so many bets. He had to come home. Now he's accusing us of not letting him on. Is Vegas going to win another game the rest of the season? They were close. Against St. Louis, they look like they have what it takes. But again, follow along on Twitter. In the first half, I tweeted out, this seemed like a repeat of the Arlington first half, which they opened the season with, where they looked phenomenal coming out of the gate and then just couldn't do enough to close. They had two picks that looked great. They just put, they put great film out there, and they just seem like so much better than their record. You want to believe that, but I'm sorry, Mike. Like Right now, you're 2-6. and six. We'll see. If Vegas can beat these guys next week, the Houston Roughnecks, uh, I'm glad the D.C. defenders ended up saving my weekend as usual. You know, they're always the second best bet on my card. Seems like they always have a Sunday game. They bailed me out again this week because I, I laid the points with Houston. I, I don't know, guys. I, I thought I found the best spot you could back a team all season. And they checked every box for me. They were more talented than St. Louis. They were desperate for a win. The matchups were there. San Antonio being ravaged with injuries and having to play Jack Cohn, who was terrible the first time out against Houston. I thought they'd face the wrath of this Wade Phillips defense who was torn apart the last three weeks by the XFL North. Short bus ride to San Antonio. Didn't have to get on a plane this week. They had Ja'Cory Roberson active. Michael Bandy active. I thought combined they could replace John Trey Kirkland. Plus, before kick, we find out Brandon Silvers is back. Why did I get excited about that? I would have rather Cole McDonald looking back. Uh, I'll say it again. We got Houston at four immediately as soon as it opened on Monday. It closed at six and a half. I was giddy. The value was on my side, and that's the most important part when the line moves your way. And this was purely disgusting if you tailed us, so I'm sorry. Um, If you were backing San Antonio here, you're a sick person and don't talk to me. Houston was the only side here. And yeah, I was wrong. But if you were backing San Antonio, you got lucky. This is how the sportsbooks line their pockets. They got everybody on Houston. Everybody pile on the, the roughnecks train here. And then this happens. Brandon Silvers gives the ball away in the absolute worst possible scenario in the fourth quarter with three minutes left. I I, I think I'm out on Silvers. I think Houston is a quarterback away from being a a legitimate championship contender. And they may find their way to the XFL championship game because the South doesn't look too strong. But what was that? And then looking around, like, what what did I do? I just, I don't understand it. it. It was, it put San Antonio back in the game. Your defense for Houston was phenomenal, but they had to stay on the field for 72 plays. I think that's probably close to a record for the most offensive plays run all season. San Antonio ran 72 of them. That defense was exhausted. That's actually 20 more plays than the Roughnecks ran. Houston defense, six sacks, held Cone to 152 yards through the air, picked him off twice. They did everything asked of them. Meanwhile, other side of the ball, the struggles continue for A.J. Smith's offense. 
Silvers, 17 of 36, two scores, two picks, 47% completion percentage. That's actually less than Jack Cohn. Jalen McClendon, for perspective, completed 68% of his passes against that same San Antonio defense, plus threw for 118 more yards, and that was his first ever pro start. This should not have been a game at the end. They, they held San Antonio out of the end zone for 59 minutes. So I can't expect the defense after Silvers throws that pick and sets the Brahmas up on the short porch to be able to, to stop overtime from happening. I don't blame Ashane Harris. He would have given up a touchdown to TJ Vasher, who has six inches on him. He had to interfere. Obviously, everyone's banged up in the whole league at this point, especially the quarterbacks, right? A.J. McCarron didn't play. And we know Silvers was dealing with an arm injury. I think it was an elbow of his own. Maybe he shouldn't have played. Maybe they should have done the same thing in Houston. If Silvers wasn't ready, why bring him back? You have a viable option at backup. The difference with Cole McDonald, he can escape the pocket. Silvers doesn't have that mobility. And when you have a a defensive front like San Antonio, he was going to take his shots, and he did. And he might have re-injured himself. Delonte Scott was getting home to the quarterback all afternoon. In the secondary, Luke Barco made another huge play to give up a um, to prevent a touchdown, excuse me. Cam Kelly gave his team a chance right at the end there with the pick. Um, and in overtime, Houston did what they probably should have did from the jump. They went with Cole McDonald. And I understand Brandon Silver said in the press conference that Cole McDonald usually takes care of the conversions. But I don't know. To me, you, you stick with McDonald the entire game, and, and this, <laughs> this probably ends up 24-6. to six. Instead of 17 to 15, Silvers made some great throws in the first quarter. They really got going. He had a nice wheel route to hit Max Borgi. It wasn't all bad, but as the game went on, it got worse. They could not put San Antonio away. And by the skin of their teeth, they win it because of the inability to put drives together. Um, You just can't have quarterback play like this against the worst team in the league. Got to be able to put these guys away and And Jalen McClendon did. He shredded San Antonio. So what was going on here for Houston? That's my sob story as a Houston backer. I know all of you Roughnecks fans are probably like, what the hell are you talking about? We won the game. You did. Congratulations. You're 5-3. and You lock up a playoff berth. But I don't know how any Houston fan could sit there. This is how I kind of felt after the D.C. Seattle game week one. I was like, okay, we escaped with a win, but now what? Box score was terrible. We have to improve. It's the same situation with Houston. You got out a win but you have to get better if you're going to have any shot at a title. Got a couple tough games coming up, Vegas and Arlington to end the season. Won't be easy, but the San Antonio Brahmas, who are the XFL's Iowa Hawkeyes, stink it up again on ABC. Again, they allow six sacks, two turnovers. Jack Cohn plays the entire game through a dislocated pinky. I don't know. San Antonio's going 2-8, and eight, guys. They got Orlando. They got, I think, D.C. to finish the season to make matters worse. Um, they actually are a favorite <laughs> this week. We'll get into the Week 9 lines. And you just have to feel for the fans at the Alamo Dome, right? This is, they're passionate fans. They had 25,000 there for their opener. That has now dropped to 11,000. But those 11,000 have not lost faith in their team. Um, I think... It just, it's just a rebuilding process. We'll have to see if Paxton Lynch will go next week against his former team. But it's, just, it's frustrating that the Brahmas are the team that ended up on ABC more than anybody else this year. Time and time again, D.C., Seattle have been relegated. I mean, think about Seattle, relegated to FX on a Thursday night 
Friday night they played. Like, San Antonio has got the benefit of the doubt with the best slots. And if you're a casual football fan and you're scrolling through your TV lineup just trying to find a football game on Easter and you tune into the San Antonio Brahma's offense, I don't blame you if you're out on the XFL after that. That game should have been D.C. Seattle. Know the schedule set in stone, and I love football, so I'll watch the games no matter what. But I, I, I can't blame you if, if that's the sample you got of the XFL. It was not a good game, so just not great timing for the league. Like I said, they should have had this one. This should have been the three o'clock ABC game. Instead, we got it at seven o'clock on ESPN two. But boy, did this deliver! Zook called this the XFL championship. I understand where he was coming from. These two teams, Seattle riding a five-game win streak, D.C. slipping up against Orlando, but the offense still looked good, and they seem to be getting better offensively with the quarterback play every week. What goes around comes back around, as Beyonce once said. You go from losing a game by one to winning a game by one point. They turn the building into Lemon Field, and they complete the regular season sweep of both St. Louis and Seattle. This team just continuing to impress me. And we were right. It was a completely different ball game from the week one version from top to bottom. Two contrasting offensive styles we saw. Fred Kice, who likes to utilize the run game. Seattle game planned well for it, stacking the box. So they went to the short pass a lot. Um, set up the occasional deep ball for DC. Chris Blair with a phenomenal game. Just seems to run by everybody that's covering him. On the other side, June Jones whose offense scores more touchdowns of 40 yards plus than they do from inside the 10, they were balling out. They were getting those big plays. Um, <laughs> here's, here's the Seattle Sea Dragons in a nutshell, guys. If you want a situation that defines their entire season offensively, just look at a scenario in this game. They tried two three-point conversions all night. On one, they get a DC penalty. Puts them at the one-yard line. On another, they commit a penalty that backs them out to the 25. Now, if you didn't watch the game and I asked you which one of those three-point conversions was good from the one or from the 25, 99% of you would tell me the one. Chris Zook would probably say the 25 because he knows this team and how with more space, they're able to operate better. Now, it was a miracle catch off a tip by Blake Jackson, but you get my point here. I, Danucci had more room to convert, more room to scramble around, and it just seems like maybe, they, maybe an inside job. Should DC have declined the penalty in that case? No, we're, we're not going to give you all that extra room. Obviously, you can't, but Greg Williams on that one-yard uh, one line three-point conversion, sending Kentrell Bryce flying up at Darius Bradwell was a great call to, to dial up the safety blitz there. Um, it was kind of weird, and, and Zook mentioned this, that Philip Lindsay, after scoring the touchdown there in the first quarter, they didn't go right back to him on the point try. They go to Bradwell. I, th- I thought that was maybe the wrong move. Um, but we had interesting swings in this game, right? You had that, that big one-point conversion miss, that, or the one-yard one line three-point conversion miss. That would have gave Seattle the lead, but then they got two points back later on when D.C. had a two-pointer. And Tamu was sacked. He fumbles. Looked like he was down. Blandino said, well, we got a recovery. This may have been the heads-up play of the game. Tyrell Adams ran right through the whistle. You hear him blowing it dead. Nobody from D.C. is chasing. 
he, forget about it. He's in, he's in the end zone. Great heads up play to not stop because he knows they're going to look at it, right? And they're going to eventually say it's a two for Seattle. And that was something we went back and forth on. We weren't sure watching the game because we haven't seen it all year. If in this league, you could return a conversion and get the points for it. But a heads up play by Adams to do so. It ended up mattering down the stretch. Uh, Jordan Tomu did get his redemption eventually. He was a star of the show, guys. 247 yards passing on just 17 completions. If my math is correct, that's damn near 10 yards per pass. Just incredible from Jordan. Four touchdowns. Not enough is said about how good this Fred Kice offense has been in the red zone. They take four trips down there. They end up with four touchdowns. They don't settle for any field goals, which was an issue against Orlando. Remember, they settled for the field goal late in that game. Matt McCrane missed a 29-yarder. So I didn't want to see McCrane out there. He's been a solid kicker this year, but everybody wants to score six. You don't want to have to send the kicker out. And they did just that. And listen, I'm a Packers fan. So I've been used to, in my life as a football fan, watching Aaron Rodgers go down there and become automatic inside the 10. I'm not comparing it to Rodgers, but if the XFL had a version of that, it's been D.C. so far. Um, and especially in this league, look at how bad some of these teams have been at the goal line. Obviously, Seattle's had their issues in the red zone. Vegas just lost in overtime because they couldn't get five yards on a conversion. In the Houston-San Antonio game, in that overtime period, we saw six tries from the five-yard line. One of them was converted. So it has not been easy for these offenses on the goal line. Arlington and Orlando. It feels like they were settling for field goals all day inside the 10 in their game. That's where D.C. stands apart. They capitalize. Jordan Tamu is not a diva quarterback. He, he doesn't have like that energy that Danucci brings. He doesn't get fired up like him. But sometimes I think it's a little better to stay even keeled. Um, some of the other guys in the league, Brandon Silvers has been chirping at the officials all year. A.J. McCarron will get really upset and mad at his guys if they're not where they need to be. And sure, it's a sign of a great leader. But Jordan just, just stays cool. And he got cooked a few times in this game. He had to leave for a few series, playing on a busted shoulder. You saw how much pain he was in throughout the game, playing through it. We will see what his status will be. But an interesting scenario. Do you go with De'Ara King next week and play the Anthony Beck card with what he did with A.J. McCarron? Do you trust your backup to get you a win? Um, here's, this, here's the situation when we ask you that. St. Louis can win out, and if they go 8-2, and two, D.C. has to win one of their next two games. Week 10 is in San Antonio. That's the key here, right? So if you give Jordan the week of rest and his shoulder is very sore and you want to take the game off against Arlington, you may be able to get away with that. It worked out in St. Louis with what they did with McCarron. Uh, going back to this game, you have to credit Seattle's fight at the end here. The first half was not very good for them. They really struggled through it. They had five drives. They punted on four of them. In the second half, they have 10 drives punted once. They outgained D.C. by 31 yards. Danucci had 11 more completions than Tamu, and they won the turnover battle. Again, another, another box score win for the Dragons, the same way it was in week one. Now, it wasn't as exaggerated as it was in week one, but again, they just were not able to make enough plays, even with 18 points in the fourth quarter. Scared the hell out of me, but DC made the big plays on O, and they made the big plays on D. That Francis Bernard batting the ball up in the air, and that mighty Joe Wallace swallows it for the pick. 
Santos Ramirez got to Danucci on that two-point conversion try. And Mike Joseph with a great play at the end there on fourth and 15 to bat it down from Josh Gordon. He's been clutch all season. Like I said, the second time Seattle looked better in the second half than D.C. and just came up short. And, and the, the Dragons needed this one badly. We're going to get to tiebreakers here coming up in our power poll and, and, and tell you exactly why they needed this one so badly. They're not dead yet. D.C. clinches the playoff berth. One more win away from that playoff game with the beer snake in Audi Field. Victory Monday. Just feeling better every time. It felt so good to bounce back. I was getting Orlando flashbacks. I'm not going to lie down the stretch when they were putting the fourth quarter together that they did. Snuck out. They get a win. Credit Reggie Barlow, Greg Williams, Fred Kice, and all the players. Hell of a job. And Von Hutchins for putting this roster together. So we'll roll right into it, Zook. What do we think this week? One through eight. I don't know if you're a diehard XFL fan, if you really have too much room to disagree here. Uh, This is pretty cut and dry this week. DC at one, St. Louis at two, Seattle at three. That's obvious. Houston is going to remain at four. They've been at four for quite a while now. In the bottom four, it gets a little tricky, and, and I had to move some things around. I will admit, I was wrong on the Arlington Renegades. I thought they were going to lose to Orlando. And many of you would have said, well, if they're going to win, it's going to be because of Luis Perez. It was not. It was because of their defense. And to me, Orlando wanted to fight off being that flash in the pan, right? They wanted to come out and show people that they were a legitimate team and, and could possibly make a playoff push down the stretch. We were convinced. Zook, that, that they might be that, and they're just not. They, they, they went right back to old Lando, which we talked about in the show, and because of it, I can't put them above San Antonio, who took Houston right to the wire. So Orlando back at eight. Vegas just continues to be that team that, you know, where would they be if they were in the XFL South? Would they be four and four right now instead of two and six? Doesn't matter, but they'll get a big shot coming up up here against Houston. And then, you know, San Antonio and Orlando are going to play this week. Who knows? That's going to be a big stay away. I wanted to talk Zook, a few things about the tiebreaker here before we move on to our best bets. So looking at early week nine lines, the odds makers are telling you that the difference right now between St. Louis and Seattle is one single point. And that's at home in the dome. St. Louis favored by one at open. Let's glance at playoff scenarios. D.C. can clinch the one seed and a home playoff game with a win in week nine or a win in week 10. Does not have to be both, can be either. Remember, that's why we're talking about do you rest Jordan this week. They would also automatically get a home playoff game if St. Louis loses. So that's the situation for the defenders faithful. Moving on to the more relevant one, Seattle and St. Louis in the north. If the Battle Hawks win, they will clinch a playoff berth. So they're going to need 45,000 in the dome. This is a huge game. If Seattle avenges that week two loss, they stay alive. We move on. We pass go. We go to week 10. In week 10, Seattle hosts Vegas and St. Louis is hosting Orlando. If the Sea Dragons and Battlehawks both end the season seven and three, which is looking very likely, the tiebreaker will be as follows. Number one is head-to-head, even. Both beat each other once in this scenario. Number two, win-loss percentage in division games, even. 
if they go seven and three, that means they both swept Vegas. They both lost to DC twice. So that doesn't matter. Number three, combined record of opponents in wins. That's even because they all beat the same teams. They both beat the, the, the same seven teams. Number four would be point differential. Points scored versus points allowed. Who has more? We went into uh, Matty Fresh Stats and Info and dove in here to find this one for you. After week eight, the Battlehawks have scored 180. They've given up 144. That's plus 36 on the point differential. Sea Dragons have scored more points, 185, but they've given up more, 156. They're at plus 29. So the difference right now is a touchdown and a one-point conversion, if my math is correct. Picture this, guys. If Seattle beats St. Louis, it's not going to be just about winning in Week 10. It's going to be playing your best game and trying to beat the brakes off of Vegas and Orlando. And, and St. Louis gets to play Saturday at noon in Week 10, where Ve- or, uh, Seattle will have to wait until Sunday at, at 9 o'clock Eastern, uh, 6 o'clock Pacific. So you got to play your best game down the stretch here. And, and remember, again, this is not total points scored. It's point differential. That matters. Uh, we have to mention the South. Houston. They can clinch a home playoff game with a win Saturday against Vegas. They can also clinch it if the Arlington Renegades lose in D.C. So a favorable situation for Houston. Now, if they manage to lose, they haven't looked that great lately, and it wouldn't be the craziest thing if Vegas, a six-and-a-half-point dog, goes in there and pulls it off. If the Renegades won in D.C., I don't know, let's say Jordan shut down, D.C. doesn't take the Renegades seriously, then it's going to come down to Week 10 in the South for who gets the one seed, which is wild to think about with how the season started. Now, the home field implications in the South are a little meaningless to me because think of it this way. If you're the Houston Roughnecks, you get the one seed, sure, you get to play in front of your fans in Houston. If you lose and get the two seed, you get to go 10 minutes from your hotel and play in Texas. At the hub. So it's much more meaningful in the North when you have two massive atmospheres like DC and St. Louis, where it's going to matter where that game is for DC fans. We need to have that game in Audi field, right? It'll be really tough to beat St. Louis twice in that building. And for Seattle, obviously at this point that they can't get a home playoff game. So they're just going to want to get into the playoffs. So you can kind of ignore the South that will work up as it will. It's going to be pretty easy to find out this XFL North is going to have a lot of people scratching their head thinking, how the hell did this team get in the playoffs? <laughs> it's going to be very good. Let's revisit our best bets down the stretch here in Week 8, Zook. I griped about Houston. I don't know. It, this was for me. I know you made fun of me last week, said, oh, you, you had your, your, your max play of the year or whatever. I outdid myself. I really did. I mean, I, I spent probably half the show on – Thursday talking about how much I love the Houston Roughnecks in this spot and and how much of an ass do I look like kicked up for my Easter nap when it's 15 to 6 and I wake up they got the ball with three minutes left <laughs> Brandon Silvers throws a pick right in my eye you look as bad as you did when you predicted that oh, over that over remember that one I remember shut up over there bozo <laughs> DC money line this, this happens every week I lose my first play. DC covers some of my losses. We go one and one again. <laughs> I, I, I said before, Zook, we should start giving you two best bets and me one. If we did that and I just rolled it over on DC every week, I'd be, what? They're seven and one against the spread. That's what I'd be right now. 
literally on my DC bet, seven and one against the spread. So those six lot, so I'm two and six in other games. What is going on? I can't, I can't, they're the only reliable team in the league against the spread. St. Louis, maybe we'll take a look at them. Zook, I think you were on the right side. Um, I jumped off the train. I can't believe that Orlando regressed right back to who we thought they were. I, I really was invested, and we thought they were making enough adjustments, but that offensive line was awful. Well, can't turn the ball over five, five times? Yeah, five times. And do you agree with the, the situation at the end? Do you think Buckley should have went for three to tie it up? Because that was huge for your bet. As soon as that happened, I texted you. I mean, that's, that's so tough. It ended up working out the way he wanted it to. He got the ball so back. He was kind of right, yeah. but I don't know. They wanted to get the ball back and try to kick a game-winning field goal, which right. would have sucked for you even worse because that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's going to be 19-18, and, and Zuck's not going to cover anyway. So you needed overtime, really, realistically, to be able to maybe win by two in OT. But it just didn't work out for us this week. And, and Mikey Manziel, I literally said, if DC loses by one, I'm not coming on the show. Thank God they won by one. But just a small difference there. That game could have very easily been a DC loss by one. So for all of you who love to see my beautiful face every Monday and Thursday, you better be grateful <laughs> that DC won and Mikey Manziel cashes his second best bet in a row. What the hell is going on? He's killing it. When I'm losing bets and Mikey's winning... That's how you know this league is not as easy as I thought it was to bet on. I'm nine and seven against the spread. That's that's good enough for the playoffs, I think. In the NFL, it would be Zook. You're still rolling along five for eight. I mean, you can't can't knock that. That's, that's am, solid. I am Seattle five and three. Yeah. <laughs> and we won't mention what you did, by the way, with the Seattle game. You, you, no, you went against don't. your own Bible, but I had to. <laughs> they made the comeback because of it. Zook with the plus three hundred live launch. On Seattle. Right at half. And we almost have to clip every time he said, now I don't bet on the Dragons, because look what happens when I do. <laughs> Just I, brutal. I think they, only, they made the comeback because of my bet. I'm Could have been. To it. There's that's a positive my, That's my story. Zook putting a bow on a turd. Uh, we are 14 and 10 as a show. Hey, treading water. Our head's above water. We wanted to be at 55%. I, I can't do the math of what 14 for 24 is, but it's above 50%. <laughs> I know that much. <sighs> want to get to some listener questions before Piper's Parlay? I don't even want to go over this. Yikes, we were one and two this week. Uh, Houston, ugly. I mean, we kind of combined, Piper combined our best bets together in the parlay. I don't think she's going to trust us next week. I would not be surprised if next week, for the first time all year, Piper fades us. She might have to. That would hurt me dearly. But we're also punishing her. She also is wearing a clown. She's uh if if you guys had a circus together. She, she's taking ownership and responsibility. Between Mikey Manzel and now you and Piper, we do have the circus at Studio Z. So come on in and buy a ticket. That's our Boulevard Best Bets week eight. We got two more weeks to try to get to that fifty five percent. Telling you guys. If you think you can hit 8 for 10 or 9 for 10 or something crazy, this is sports gambling. If you're doing that, your variance is good, right? You're getting lucky. This is right around where I wanted to be better, but this is right around realistically where we would end up at 14 and 10 as a show. So we're not losing. We're having fun watching the games. I just need to figure out who to bet on other than DC. Leave your suggestions in the chat. 
don't say Vegas. All right, let's take some listener questions. We had a few leftovers from last Thursday that I wanted to get to in the show. One reads, thoughts on which market you believe can take the biggest step forward in attendance here too. Thank you, Aaron Shiro on Twitter for your question. Which market can take the biggest step forward in attendance? I like to leave these questions open and not think about it too much before we're live on the show because I want kind of a off-the-cuff reaction. San Antonio. Uh, And the reason being, we saw them in the AAF back in 2019. I think they had about 30K in the Alamo Dome. Heinz Ward had a front-row seat to it. He worked in scouting for the AAF, and now he's the coach of the Brahmas. 25K at their opener. Again, tough situation. They let go their VP of business and event ops after the first week of the season, so we don't know how much of an impact getting the right people in the front office has. But I think San Antonio, obviously they've lost half their crowd because the team is bad. I think if Heinz, I would love to see Heinz Ward in year two come back. I think he should. Um, he needs a new offensive staff. It's not, his play callers aren't cutting it. He's tried Elizondo. He's tried Jimmy Johnson. It's not working. You can only blame the injury so much. They need to find a quarterback for year two, and they need to find an offensive coordinator because the defense has been great. You ride Jim Herman out for as long as he wants to stay. It's been phenomenal. If some, I know Luke Barco and some of these other guys are going to end up in the NFL. But if you can find a good quarterback that will light that crowd up and you can find a good offense, I think San Antonio will be right back to 25-30K every week next year. The next question was kind of similar. Uh, on Twitter from Canadian Ranger Donald. Green Ranger Don on Twitter asks, which cities do you think are XFL worthy of getting a team? I might throw in uh, Zook's input a little bit here. He's been all over the country himself. Um, well, my brain goes right to TV markets and thinking of some of like the top 10, usually TV markets will dictate the kind of numbers, both ratings and attendance-wise that you can do. Um, I usually fly out of Newark when I go on the Boulevard Bowl Tour, and I was flying right over Red Bull Stadium in, in uh, New York. And I just imagine that stadium is perfect for an XFL team to come in. I know it's a soccer stadium, but look at Audi Field. Uh, if you fill that place up, I think New York should have a team. We saw the New York Guardians back in 2020. They should not have played in MetLife Stadium. That was a Vince McMahon idea. If they can play in Red Bull Stadium, New York needs a team. A lot of fans have backed that. Boston, another one. Why not? Great football town. I know the weather's tough playing in February, but um, Denver would be one. And uh, we got to get a, like a Midwest city in there. I don't want to say Chicago. Um, like Milwaukee, right? Packers fans don't have a football team in the city of Milwaukee. They have to go north to see their team. That would be a good Midwest one. Midwest, a great area for football. And you could throw in a Southern city. Take your pick. Nashville, uh, Charlotte, either one of those two filled with young people, be great crowds. Louisville, maybe. Um, But I think if I had to, (laughs) if I had to pick one, right, of all those, and this is going to be biased, the XFL needs a Pennsylvania team, which would put me in a pretzels look. If the XFL got a Pennsylvania team, I don't think it would be in Philly or Pittsburgh because the Summer League has them both covered. Now, they don't; those teams don't play um, in those cities yet. But 
what if we got like a team in let's say like the greater Harrisburg area this is a top 50 TV market most people don't realize Harrisburg York Lancaster kind of that central PA area top 50 market it's actually the same size as Jacksonville Florida who has an NFL team so I know it's you can't really say one city you'd have to call it like the Pennsylvania pierogies or something whatever you'd call it it wouldn't be like a specific city. It'd be Pennsylvania. Wouldn't that be cool to have a Pennsylvania team instead of Philly, Pittsburgh, right? I'm in. I'm maybe put it in the Lehigh Valley. That's, then you get Jersey. That puts me in a bad spot. Yeah, me I'm, too. I'm probably gonna have to jump ship. Uh, I don't know if I can. I'm well. Invested. See, it's gonna be easier for you because my team's gonna be coming off a championship. Wow. <laughs> so it's gonna be tough for me, but. I don't know. The Pennsylvania team would be great. I think that you see Penn State football and the crowd that they're able to draw. It's the number one atmosphere in college football. Everybody from around the state, New Jersey, New York, surrounding areas, come to these games. And I think if you put it in, like, I don't know, you'd have to build a stadium, right? That's where it gets tricky. There's not too many venues outside of Philly, Pittsburgh, and Beaver Stadium who's not going to have an XFL team. See if you're but, gonna if you're gonna pick a city or a state to put yeah. one in. I like I like doing, you know how St. Louis they have such big fan yeah. support because they don't have anything else. So like I don't know Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, you know that, what I mean? that hovers right around there. I think they're top fifty. So great sports town, right? They love their football there. Um, but you know what I don't like about Oklahoma City? We have three Texas teams. So you noticed. All the, the teams that I mentioned would not be in Texas. And then you should stay out of Texas. You have that covered. Oklahoma, very close. Stay out of California. And, and, and not just for the reason, like San Diego would be another example, right, of a team where they lost their NFL team. I don't love it because the regulations that you run into in California are bigger than you think. Right. For the XFL to establish a footprint, they tried it in Los Angeles. It was expensive, right? California is a different animal. It's like a different country. What you have to go through to be able to have a sports team there. Think about this. Los Angeles didn't have an NFL team for years because of this reason. So I don't know. I, I, I stay out of California. You have enough teams in Texas. You need more teams in the Northeast. I, I'm hearing people driving from Buffalo, New York, that are DC Defender fans. You know how far that is, Zook? That's an eternity. That's like a 20-hour drive to see your team. So I'm going like New York, Boston, cover the rest of the East. Maybe throw in a Midwest team. The whole Midwest is unaccounted for. From Ohio, I mean, St. Louis, I guess you could say Midwest, but more South? I mean, if, if I'm from Ohio, am I a Battlehawks fan necessarily? Maybe. It's kind of far. But, yeah, I'm going like a Milwaukee. Uh, and then they need a team in the South. Like, that's not Orlando, <laughs> right? It's weird to have three Texas teams in Orlando in the South. You need like a a Southern team that can like represent like the Atlanta Braves do. They cover the entire MLB South. Like there's fans from Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi that are Braves people. You need that in the XFL. And then maybe we get our Pennsylvania team. How about Pottsville? Pottsville PA home of Yingling beer. There's a sponsor right there for you. All right. Opening lines. We'll run through them here. Uh, we said Las Vegas, Houston, this week, Houston, a six and a half point favorite. I can tell you early lean on Vegas there. Over under is 43 and a half. Uh, Orlando, San Antonio, the toilet bowl in week nine. The Brahmas, one and a half point favorites. Stay off that game. 
disgusting. I actually had the under in that game back in like week two. Didn't hit because of a fake punt or a punt block for a touchdown, whatever it was. It was nasty. Arlington and DC. DC, eight and a half point favorite at home. Depends on Jordan. Derek King, love you. Have some kinks to work out. A lot of points. Eight and a half. Totals 41 and a half. And the game of the week. Seattle and St. Louis, we mentioned it. The Battle Hawks opening at one. If you're betting this game, Zook, do you wait? Who's gaining steam? What will this line close at? Use your crystal ball. Is it going to be St. Louis minus two and a half? Or does the money come in on Seattle? I don't know what I would do here. I think if you like the Battle Hawks, you should bet it now because I think it's going their way. I think more people is betting on St. Louis this week. I disagree. You think more money on in Seattle? Yeah. Is it just the Battle Hawks fans, though, that'll make you wrong? Like, are there, are there enough Battle Hawk? Because we know they have a ton of fans. Are there enough Battle Hawk fans that are going to just blindly back them that is going to drive this number up? Or are there more Sharps who are betting these games every week? Because the Sharp money probably should be on Seattle, thinking that usually in the second game, the loser of game one will play better. That's held true all year. If you're a Seattle backer here, I think you wait. I think you wait and get two, two and a half. But the total's 46. Low to me. 46 and a half last night, DC Seattle. What do we combine for? 67? 60 something, yeah. And it wasn't even in overtime. We get 67 points. Ton of those in the f- second half, by the way. Like if you were an overbetter last night, you were loving that fourth quarter. They combined for 30 points in the fourth. So, yeah, that's a low total for me. I'd go over there. Nah, but we're not going to give out a best bet. I don't know. This card has me in a pretzel. I would lean Vegas plus six and a half. I think it's way too many for Houston. But we'll decide on Thursday where we're going for our best bets. I can tell you right now. <laughs> Just back DC. I don't know. <laughs> Just find out if Jordan's playing in back DC. That's your best bet <laughs> right there. Well, for Mikey Manziel, thank you for man to man. As always, Mike, sorry we had to put you in the bozo tie. Uh, for Chris Zook the Clown losing it <laughs> at least the nose got used for something how about I play us off this is Spring Ball Boulevard we've made it through 16 episodes and I want to thank Bob Stoops for endorsing our message on Twitter I tweeted out there is no such thing as football season and Bob Stoops has agreed We'll see you guys on Thursday night. Take it easy.